Ayo! Welcome into the CHGO White Sox post-game show presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Welcome into Studio B of our CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Herb Lawrence. Hello! You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He is the CHGO White Sox community leader, you know, leading you guys, the community. You guys are hanging out already in the YouTube chat. You're excited about a game one victory for the White Sox. They take down the Royals three to nothing and improve to 18 and 17 on the year. We'll talk about that game one uh, to lead off. Then we'll have Vinny Duber join us in the middle. And then we'll talk about, uh, they played a second game, I heard. Did they? They what played they a second said. game? Okay. That's, that's right. what apparently was on my screen, Herb. So okay. uh, I, I don't know if they did play a second game. They I definitely was, uh, didn't show up. I was having some good sleep that second game <laughs> when my eyes opened. Hey, uh, there was, I, I think after Lance Lynn uh, came into the broadcast, after that, I really started just tuning out uh, that second game. But let's, uh, let's not get into it because, again, uh, like you said, uh, we shouldn't get into it right away because it will just make us so mad for the rest of the podcast. Let's go to game one. Dylan C started for the White Sox, and they approved uh, above 500. Uh, they won this game three to nothing. Dylan Cease went five and two thirds, struck out nine, gave up an earned run. I like Cease. Cease was really good today. I think he could have been better, but it was kind of the issue we saw with Carlos Rodon uh, versus the St. Louis Cardinals on Sunday. First pitch fastball, they were all over him. Yeah, they had a plan they, and they attacked it. They had a good game plan and they were hitting him pretty hard. And I was texting with you. I was like, his command and control is off. But you're like, no, no, no. They're having a game plan where they're attacking his fastball. And since he got hit so hard versus the Yankees, maybe he's a little gung shy about throwing that fastball to the uh, Royals. But, you know, the Royals are not the Yankees. And what they'll do is hit him hard. At the most, that'll be a double. So, um, yeah, eventually he settled down, got nine strikeouts. That's a cash from me from PointsBet. Thank you very much. Because <laughs> um, Sean was talking him up so much. And if you guys missed it, sometimes we don't do pregames. And since it was a long day today, we didn't do a pregame. But Sean opened up a spaces up there on Twitter. And we talked about the game. And Sean was like, they have his number at six and a half strikeouts. Over, yeah. over, over. And so once Sean was so confident in that, I was like, shit, if Sean's confident and uh, a bunch of other people are confident, I'm betting so I can win a lot of money, which I did with the nine strikeouts. But Dylan Cease, as I always say, I don't worry about him. I don't worry about Giolito when they go to the bump. They're always going to give you a quality effort. Yeah, but it's interesting just to see their development still because it is the Royals and, you know, Giolito and Cease should handle the Royals, the Guardians. Uh, they should handle these lower level hitting teams. So it isn't, you know, the end of the world or it isn't anything groundbreaking that Dylan Cease went five and two thirds. And honestly, I think that's a little bit less than he wanted. I don't know if that's a, a good start for Dylan Cease because against the opponent, you should be going later into the game. I thought that Dylan Cease with his stuff could have gone seven innings and struck out 10 today. You know, it was, just wasn't perfect. It just wasn't all there. His slider was a little iffy. His curveball wasn't getting the same spin and drop that he usually had. And again, they were all over the fastball, but he worked through it. Uh, let's look at his pitch mix because I think something that is interesting with Dylan and something that, you know, you saw in this Yankee game, you saw in the Royal game today, they're hitting the fastball hard, but the slider, the knuckle curve, it's all working for him. So I really do wonder, the knuckle curve really wasn't working today, uh, but it, it was working against the Yankees. I do wonder if he looks to start using those sliders, those knuckle curves, more in the first pitch of the at-bat. There was a stat 
four of his five strikeouts, uh, first five strikeouts came with a breaking ball in the first pitch. The only one that didn't was to Sal Perez. Uh, but, you know, he started him off with a fastball and then just throw him on the yeah. breaking balls. That's how you beat Sal Perez. Uh, but I do wonder if he goes and gets that first strike with a curveball, it just opens up his ability to really play with, with his pitches and, and play with the hitters there. And I think hitters know that he loves his fastball. Who wouldn't? 98 with a little late movement. And he uses it a lot. And so, yeah, you get their hit, their eyes off of the fastball by introducing that knuckle curve, which today was hanging. It was up in the stone. And luckily, we're playing the Royals, and they're not hitting balls out of the ballpark too much. So he got away with a couple of them up there. So, yeah, I agree with you right there. And it seemed like a slider, especially to left-handers. It wouldn't have the same crisp bite mm-hmm. that he usually has that would be kind of in their kitchen. It just stayed on the on the zone, and people were yanking hands in and getting hits off of him. Yeah, his horizontal break was down uh, by three compared to his yearly average on that slider. His vertical break was off by four inches uh, today on his curve. Ball. So, I mean, those are the two parts that you need working. You need a better drop and you need a better horizontal run on that slider. It wasn't there today, but that kind of shows you where the Royals bats are. They just fired their hitting coach. Uh, you know, he, he should be honestly taking advantage of the, this lineup a little bit more, but they had a good approach of him attached that, that a first pitch fastball. Um, and something too, that I found interesting, he goes to 94 pitches again, he pitched five and two thirds. Then there. Tony goes in and brings Bennett Souza in. I thought that was a weird matchup there, Herb. It's really weird. Multiple reasons. He had just struck the hitter out before. Yes, a guy who in Isbell who had hit him hard the game all day game long was coming up next, a left hand hitter. So Brandon Souza makes sense there. But also he was, I think, powering through with a ninth strikeout there. Maybe Tony just wanted him to have some positivity and not go against this guy who's probably seen seen him a little bit and has hit him pretty hard. But I let a guy like that who is one of my aces get through that. See if he can get that next level, get the out, get the sixth, uh, the sixth innings done with, and then if you get Isbell out, then you go back up versus Nicky Lopez with Bennett Sousa, who's a left-hander. Then it's uh, the start of the lineup with Whit Merrifield, and then another left-handed hitter right there, and uh, Andrew Benintendi. So that would have made more sense if he would have did that, especially the first game of a doubleheader. Hey, man, I would love to take you out in normal situations. Probably would. <laughs> But today's a different game. You're facing the Royals. The ball's dead. Go get them, champion. Well, and-, and we have a setup that is perfect for you if you don't succeed here. Right. And also, I mean, you got Davis Martin starting in game two. So you think that, you know, if he blows up or doesn't have a good start, it's his debut friends. Maybe the guy gets a little bit rattled. You might need to go deeper into that bullpen. So I just thought even having that extra arm, not getting Souza up and not using him was important to this team. And Fred has a thing. Uh, his mantra is that the starters need to go seven. You know, that's asking a lot. You heard about Tony's comments that, you know, it, he might not even pitch. You know, I don't, this is not the exact words that he said, but, you know, he, he's it feels like he's a little bit hesitant to even let Dallas Keuchel pitch the sixth inning, you know, rather, you know, regardless of the results here. So, you know, I I think that's a good saying for those aces like Lynn, Giolito, and Cease. If they're giving you seven strong innings, I think that, you know, you're really going to get a good result every single time. But if Vince Velasquez, if Dallas Keuchel, if Johnny Cueto, whatever, they're giving you five innings of, you know, three earned runs or less, I think think we've been fine with most of that today. And you got that from Dylan Cease. You got that from Davis Martin today. And, you know, the Sox really, they, they score four runs. In, in two games, 18 innings, friends. Ooh, just piss poor. It's making me mad. I didn't want to think about the second game until we're talking about the second game, but damn it. We're, like, there was no excuse for that second lineup. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of like 
house money. He's like, we already got a game in hand. Just play this lineup out here with this guy making his major league debut. We score runs and we win. Cool. If we don't, we got a split. Yay. No, these games count. You don't be throwing games away. And that's what he did with that JV lineup. He put out there in that second game. He didn't give his pitcher the best chance to win. Didn't give his team the best chance to win. And we've gone through the stats. I think Tim Anderson versus Brady Singer is like six for nine. Why is he sitting out? I know he has to sit out. If you're going to sit him out, sit him out against the guy that he has barely faced, if at all. Yeah. And and Heasley did well um, in his start, you know, for for the most part, I guess. He was throwing garbage up there. Yeah. His his slider was decent. And then the White Sox just can't hit sliders. And and that's been a a thing that we'll we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, But it just keeps bearing its head again and again. Brady Singer did it to him. Uh, Heasley, who, you know, even didn't have good stuff, uh, his slider was good enough to fool the White Sox. And and just guys like this, you you feel like the White Sox should be doing more damage against them. Uh, Let's stick with the pitching, and then we'll go back into the, the batting for game one. Joe Kelly loads the bases in the eighth inning, mm-hmm. gets himself into some trouble here. Uh, what's your thoughts on Joe Kelly after four outings? I Like, the first outing, I was like, wow, I had stars in my eyes. Like, why did the Dodgers give up on this guy? <laughs> I know they didn't give up on him. He was a free right. agent. But seriously, this guy is phenomenal. His stuff moves. His uh, sinker just gets in on right-handers and away from left-handers. Ridiculous. And the last three starts have been uh, last three relief appearances have been rough really rough my man has been struggling and struggling with command and control I think he's trying to hit the bottom of the zone and he just doesn't have it yet and then after the third guy got on uh two via the walk he got a talking to by Ethan Katz and something sparked him right and he started throwing strikes he maybe he's like oh damn that's the Royals out there (laughs) that's and he got away with it yeah the last pitch to I think it was Hunter Dozier it was a 3-1 Garbage uh, through the curve or change up curve and it's in on his hand. So it's a good pitch, but it was a ball, ball, ball. And he just hits that ball up and it gets caught by the second baseman. So good to get out of it. You created the situation and you got out of the situation. But no, that was not a good performance at all by Joe Kelly. I will be very shocked to see him be this bad going forward because he's not this guy right sometimes you just run into bad stretches where you can't find your command and he's right there and well hopefully the confidence he got out from getting those three guys out two one strikeouts and the last one right there with Dozier he moves his forward and next appearance probably versus the Yankees he's a little bit better Hopefully they're you know he's able to bounce back. Hopefully that builds in confidence too. But he's a guy that is coming off of a rehab stint and he's had nerve issues and he didn't even participate in the shortened spring training. So I do wonder where he's just at as well. Um, it, it's not perfect. It's not tight. Uh, but it, it, and obviously it can get better. But I think it might just get better with time and the more and more he throws. All right. Well, I mean that was enough on game one, I guess, because we got our guy they Vinny won. Duber joining the show. They won, uh, and and that was the most important thing for game one they won that three to nothing and we'll get a little bit more into the hitting issues and the hitting woes for the Sox in these two games so let's go out to Kansas City where Vinny Duber is joining us he's the CHGO White Sox beat writer he's covering the team out in Kansas City Vinny you got another John Prine shirt on the same one but yeah okay nice That's a good look. for me <laughs> it looks like John Oates I'm mm. sorry not, I'm not quite. Not quite. I'm sorry. <laughs> a little bit more dirtier than John Oates. Just a little bit. Um, Vinny, excited to talk to you today. Um, there's one 
I think an easy way to start as the Cubs are screaming, uh, <laughs> Cody's really throwing me off here, celebrating a Cubs win on his birthday. Uh, but let's go to uh, leadership. I want to talk to you a little bit about this because I thought it was a fun quote from Andrew Vaughn. Uh, he, he talked about uh, Jose Abreu and his leadership. I'll say forever, I want an E60 on Abreu as a teammate. He's one of the best teammates that I've ever had. Uh, people are kind of questioning the White Sox and their leadership right now as they sit at eighteen or at 500 through uh, you know 36 games. What is the leadership right now like for the Sox? Uh, uh, can you speak to that? You know, being in Kansas City right now, where you know they've just taken two of uh, three uh, against Kansas City. Yeah, don't question it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, seriously. I, I mean, listen. I, I get, I get the whole. You know what it's like being a fan. You live and die with every night. But because the White Sox are 500, does not mean every single thing is broken um, about this team in mid-May. Uh, and, and leadership and clubhouse culture is something that is very, very much a strength of this team. Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson stand, you know, at the front of the line. I think Lance Lynn is a guy that, that does that for the pitching staff. And certainly fans got to hear from him tonight if they were watching the broadcast uh, and, and kind of get a glimpse into his personality and what he can do uh, for everybody else on this pitching staff. Liam Hendricks uh, plays that role in the bullpen. And, and other guys step in and mentor as well. Lucas Giolito has long been described as a leader. Um and you see some of the new guys who have come along kind of kind of fit that bill too. Uh, don't be questioning it. That's silly. That's just people looking at the record and saying everything must be wrong. Not everything is wrong. There's a lot of stuff that's wrong. They need to hit. But uh, you know, they they when it comes to to leadership and the intangibles, uh, this team has long been described by everybody who comes in from the outside as a gigantic strength, a reason for some guys as to why they want to play with it. Talking to Johnny Cueto last night, you know, he's here for the first time. Why did he pick the White Sox? One of the reasons, it's a team that has fun. It's a team that, you know, that that um, he looks in the clubhouse and he sees guys that he wants to be around. And he is not at all the first person to say that. He's just the most most recent person to say that coming from the outside. It's something that Tony La Russa talks about on an extraordinarily regular basis. Someone who came in from the outside and decided, look at this, I, I, I don't want to change this at all. This is this is humming perfectly. Uh, you know, other things might need to be tweaked, but but from a culture leadership standpoint, yeah, don't question it. That's that's silly. Well, one uh, word that we keep hearing coming out of the Sox clubhouse is pressing. We've heard it about Jose Abreu. It seems like he's stopped pressing a little bit, or maybe he's he's snapping out of it. He had, he had a couple uh, two good games against the Royals so far. Uh, but I do wonder. I mean, do you feel a sense of pressing in the White Sox? Uh, you know, clubhouse after you know eighteen innings where they score four runs. Uh, I mean, I think, I don't know if you feel it in the clubhouse. I think you can see it when you watch the game, right? I mean, and I think that that's something that we've heard not only from Tony La Russa, but from, from players as well, which is, uh, yeah, I think these guys are uh, trying to do a little too much. Everybody goes up to the plate and they're like, I'm going to be the guy that, that, that breaks us out of this, this slump that we're in. And I don't think that that's usually how it works, as anybody will tell you. And that's why pressing and trying too hard are, are, are always described as such bad things. So, yeah, it's not something that they want to be doing and yet it's kind of human nature to do that uh it, it it's not working right now the offense looks looks bad uh right. and and with the exception of tim anderson and, and Luis robert i think pretty much everybody you could describe as not hitting up to their expectations at least on a consistent basis um and and certainly with some guys it's it's pretty constant at the moment so um 
like you said, some positive signs from Jose Abreu. Uh, I think a slump like this is not really something new for him. I think we've seen it plenty of times throughout his White Sox career, you know, where he'll go and he'll have a bad few weeks or a bad month or a bad month and a half. And then you look up at the end of the year and he's Jose Abreu again. So um, I'm not saying that, you know, everything's peachy because it certainly isn't. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think that there's something to, you know, saying, you got to give these guys opportunities to, to break out of this. And, and a guy like Abreu, a guy like Yasmani Grandal, who have that track record, Tony LaRusso talked about it earlier, when, it's the, when they have that track record, you kind of just let them go because, you know, the vast majority of the time they're going to figure it out. And Vinny, I watched that first game, and I was looking at Dylan Cease. He wasn't his premium self, but he was pretty damn good with the nine strikeouts. And when he got his nine strikeout, Tony took him out. Did either of them, either Tony LaRusso or Dylan Cease, talk about his outing? Was he gassed there, and why the decision to take him out after five and two-thirds? Yeah, well, I think people saw his reaction on the broadcast maybe, and, you know, that's that's what you're going to get from every starting pitcher. Uh, certainly on this staff, every guy you talk to wants to – be in there for nine innings no matter how many pitches they're throwing and so you're going to see that that kind of a reaction whenever they get taken out uh but certainly yeah you're right Dylan Cease you know was not the guy who uh, I think people have grown a little bit accustomed to with how good he's been this year just kind of mowing through lineups there were guys on base all the time today in game one but I think you know what I asked him after the game and what he very much agreed with was two years ago that would have gotten out of hand in a hurry, and there would have been a lot of runs on the board. Uh, I think his growth as as a, as a pitcher, his maturity um, as, as a pitcher now uh, is very evident in the fact that he was able to get out of that and, and get out of it over and over again because, you know, there were multiple guys on base a lot of the time uh, uh, today. So I think that's something that you really got to look to as a big-time positive for Dylan Cease, not just in, you know, the, the way the game went today, but in moving forward what kind of pitcher he can be because he's learning to – be somebody who can be relied upon. You just learned a little bit about another pitcher. Uh, Davis Martin made his MLB debut. Uh, what was it like in the clubhouse after you know he gave a strong six inning out- outing? Yeah, he was pleased, and we heard a lot of uh, heard a lot of the uh, kind of stuff that you expect to hear from somebody like maybe from Dylan Cease. Uh, you know, him basically just going like, "Yeah, it was good." One game at a time, <laughs> on to the next one. You know, very, very cliche from, from Davis Martin. But uh, certainly, you know, he couldn't hide the fact that he was a little bit excited, obviously, for making his major league debut today. Uh, what, a 14th round draft pick, I think. Like, that 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 doesn't happen too often. So, uh, good job by him, too. I mean, man, you could not have asked for anything better than what he gave today. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I mean, listen, th- this offense got to score runs. Your, your pitching is going to give you a game like that. And they got a game like that from game in game one. Three runs was enough. You know, it, 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 does, it hasn't seemed like enough a lot of the time this year. It was enough in game one. But then you're only scoring one run in game two. I mean, this is, listen, Brady Singer uh, pitched great, but this is the Royals. You got you to gotta score more than You got to score more than that right. against the Royals. Like, listen, it's one thing if you're out there against, uh, you know, Garrett Cole or Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander or whoever, and it's like, you know, tip your cap because they dominated. You know, this is this is the Royals. And I think Tim I think Tony LaRusso even said, you know, he complimented Brady Singer for for being great, which he was, you know, deserves those compliments. And he said, Yeah, I'm a little mad we didn't do more in the ninth inning. I mean, yeah, yeah, you you got the guys up you want to have up. You got the middle of your order up and, you know, zilch. So did Tony speak about because of pregame I had understood that 
Abreu wasn't going to play in the field in the second game. He was going to be the designated hitter. Seemed like that plan changed before the lineups went out for the second game. Did Tony speak about just giving Abreu a blow? Because I know we're watching him on the TV. It looks like he's annoying everybody because he's got so much energy. That's probably half of his plan. Like, hey, you'll never not play me again because I'm going to annoy the hell out of everybody. (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh my god i'll tell you something in a second but but before to answer your question yeah uh, uh i think Abreu being on base three times uh in that first game tony said you know what you, you exerted yourself plenty uh we'll go ahead and give you a rest for for game two and, and go ahead and let luis robert dh uh but yeah I, i'll last night luis you know Abreu had had a nice game you know a couple of walks and a, and a hit you know was on base three times we go over to interview luis robert after he hit the game winning home run last night and jose Abreu is just young Yucking it up in the in the corner right over there. Uh, he is screaming, see the ball, hit the ball, and then just ye- yelling, just yelling at the top of his lungs. You know that face that he makes when he goes around third right. base and he's just screaming as much? I mean, just staring and just, just you know, eardrum rattling screaming from Jose Abreu in the clubhouse last night. So they were having a good time after they, after they won an extra innings. And I mean, just another insight into, you know, the, what you started with tonight, which is leadership and clubhouse uh, culture and, and, and the role that Abreu plays for all of those guys. He was making everybody laugh last night. And I think Tony even said we were celebrating his two walks. Uh, you know, <laughs> looks like they were, they were, they were celebrating, you know, just being with each other. So that was good. Good to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to see Abreu uh, having fun in there. And the guy that he was, you know, chucking it up with was uh, Frank Minichino. Uh He's kind of a public enemy right, number one right now uh, with Sox fans. I heard this from Jim Margulis of Sox Machine. You know, he said, you know, I've been covering baseball since 2006, and I still don't know what hitting coaches do. Um, could you explain maybe just what you see, you know, Frank Minichino doing on a daily basis, or or have you heard from Frank Minichino recently? I mean, what's the the strategy right now if you, you're, you're talking to Frank Minichino of what what the the approach should look like for the Sox just because, you know, four runs in 18 innings. That's what people are harping over right now. Frank Minichino and, and, and hitting coaches in general, uh, they, they have a high risk job, right? Because I think they, they take the blame uh, when, when things are not going right uh, for an offense. The Royals fired their hitting coach two days ago or yesterday, I believe. So, um, you know, this is, this is nothing new for major league baseball. That being said, uh, imagine this, Sean, Imagine that you are the greatest podcast host in the world. You are hyped up as the number one podcast host coming up from the minor leagues. And all you've done all your life is had success at hosting podcasts. And then you get to the major leagues and somebody tells you how they want you to host a podcast. What are you going to do? Yeah. Not listen to that person. Not listen. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not listen. I'm not. I'm not blaming any specific player. I just think that that is a very uphill battle when you have been, and, and in most of these cases, a professional. You know what I mean? For right. for multiple years, you're having so much success. This is the highest level. the The amount of success that you have to have in order to get to this spot, you have to know what you're doing. And then if somebody tells you that you should be doing it a little differently. You might you might have a reaction. You might have a reaction that isn't follow the those exact directions. I don't think anything Frank Manichino has ever said has sounded wrong. I think everybody would agree that you want to be you want to be looking for your pitch. You want to be driving the ball the other way. You want to be hitting line drives before you're hitting home runs. I don't think anybody would disagree with any of that. But people see the results, and he's the guy that gets put in the crosshairs because he's the hitting coach. So. Um, I think you have to separate the results from the, the process. And I think you have to th- 
to realize that this might not be as easy a job as some people might think. And speaking of coaches on the staff, some White Sox fans are kind of ticked that another runner's gunned out at home from Super Joe sending them home. That call, I thought, was a little bit bad. Did Tony or anybody, I know they're not going to throw Super Joe under the bus because he's one of the greatest guys ever. I love him. But did anybody speak about that play in particular? Because it was such a slim margin in that second game, a 2-1 to one victory by the Royals. You really can't have guys getting thrown out of the home. Tony said you had to send him. Okay. Uh, I think that you look at the game situation, they needed one run. They weren't getting many hits. Right. Um, and I think the, the main thing that he brought up was, remember what happened the last time Andrew Benintendi threw home against the White Sox? This basically, is- basically rolled it in from left field. We said um, exactly that. This was a picture-perfect throw. It was a, a phenomenal throw to watch in person. It was right on the money. Um, and pretty much that was all that was going to get Josh Harrison. Now he made it, he made it look easy because the throw was so good, um, you know, but uh, I, I don't really have a problem with the send. Uh, you know, you got a guy that's got some speed and Harrison on, on the base paths. Um, you're not getting any hits. Take advantage of the one hit you get. I don't think anybody can say that you shouldn't have sent him because of who's on deck. Um, just because, I mean, I think they expect everybody. They expect everybody in this lineup to to, to be able to hit. I mean, you. I mean, so I mean, what if 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 you know Larry's on deck, then you've got to you you can't send you you have to send the runner because Larry's on deck. But if Roberts on deck, then you can. I mean, you got a guy with speed on the bases. Have, have it's got to be your guy versus their guy, and and their guy made the play. The the Benintendi made a phenomenal play. It, it's I don't think there's anything wrong with what Harrison was doing on that play. I don't and and, and listen, yeah, it didn't work, and so people are going to say it's dumb when it didn't work. But um, you know, it's a single to left field. You got a runner in scoring position, and the last time that guy tried to throw you out at home plate, he rolled the ball into the infield. Hold the on, I got to bounce back off is that I don't think Josh Harrison is as fast as people think Josh Harrison is. That I could think be he, just average speed, and so maybe that goes into the calculus of. Joe McEwen, oh man, Josh Harrison, Pittsburgh Pirates, the man's fast, let's roll him. Well, and I found it funny too, when when Vinny says, you know, Robert's on deck, you, it doesn't matter who's on deck, uh, it's a terrible send. Literally, as you said that, Fred in the comments said, Robert was on deck, terrible send. <laughs> so, well, I, I made that comment because that's what I was seeing on, on Twitter. I mean, that was the only explanation right there. And if the only explanation for not sending a guy is because you have another guy coming up, you always right. have another guy coming up. That's baseball. So, uh, yeah, listen, it was, it was a bang-bang play. It was a good play. Uh, it was a phenomenal throw. And, you know, the, the key is you got to get some more hits throughout the rest right. of the game and score some more hit runs throughout the rest of the game so that it doesn't come down to one play at the plate in the eighth inning. Well, and Jackie's saying in the comments, like, you know, you got to get something else going. You know, four four runs in 18 innings, that's not Joe McEwing's fault. Uh, you know, it would have been five innings if, if that if that decision was, or five runs in 18 innings if that decision was right. Uh, so, yeah, definitely interesting. All right, Vinny, I think that's it uh, for actual questions, unless Herb's got something else. Um, I got some trivia for you if you want to. Oh, yeah, before that, yeah. I just want to know, have you gone to any of those new spots in Kansas City that you're going to hit up? Uh, you know that I've done nothing but be at a baseball stadium since I've gotten here. Her. <laughs> at least so, today. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow is a night game, and we might be able to get something done uh, in the afternoon. Okay, so you you met with uh, your attempted murderer, Gordon Beckham. Uh, what was that chat like, catching up with Gordon, uh, talking about the ball that almost hit you? Got to be honest, I did not hear an apology from oh. Gordon, but, uh, but no, it was funny because not pictured in that tweet, uh, there is a 
there's a mark on the wall about, you know, four or five inches next to it that is another dent. Uh, Mike Moustakis from the same season two days later. Oh, so I was I was in the uh, in the crosshairs of, of batters that week, <laughs> I suppose, because first Gordon Beckham, you know, blasts a ball through the wall and then uh, Moose Moustakas put a dent in there. And of course, uh, Gordon's joke today was, you know, he had the the larger impact in the wall. There's there's you know, it's a it's a hole versus a dent. And he goes, oh, well, you can tell here who the all star was. So right. a nice, exactly. a nice comment from Gordon. Do they not have drywall in Kansas City? Uh, I mean, they look like drywall. I mean, do they not fix it? (laughs) I think it's, you know, part of the charm. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it's a press box. The only people that are going to see it are Gordon tried to kill Vinny. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, that is cool. Vinny, we're talking about it. What? 10 years later. And they were talking about it in the pregame too. It was a good conversation between Jason and Gordon Beckham right there. It was awesome. Yeah, very, very cool stuff. All right, I got some music trivia for you. Uh, You're at Kauffman Stadium. They had this on the broadcast. What was the first concert at Kauffman Stadium? Do you know? What band played there? Oof. Boy, that's a good question. I think, oof. Is this late 60s or early 70s, this stadium? I don't know. That's what what I got to know. I think it's 73 was the the, the first year. Zappa? Oh. I know the answer. Is that it? No, I thought you said Zappa. I didn't say anything yet. Okay. I'll go ahead and say, oh boy, 1973. I'll go ahead and say it was, oh boy, this is tough. Uh, I'll just say the Stones to be to be okay. to have fun. I know the answer. Chicago Transit, Transit Authority. Yes. Oh, there you go. Chicago. All right. Uh, so there you go. Nice and thematically appropriate. I was I was interested then for the White Sox. Uh, do you know the first concert at, at uh, Comiskey Park? The first concert at Old Comiskey Park. Yes. That was there in the that was wasn't that built the in the twenties. <laughs> no, it, well, I mean, like the, the first one that I could find on the internet, uh, it was nineteen sixty five. If that helps, it was Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> well, I know the Beatles played at Old Comiskey Park. That that's that was the one. That's yeah. the answer I got. Uh, okay, and then there you go. The, the final one, uh, uh, two thousand three. The final concert at Comiskey, Bruce Springsteen uh, in the E Street Band. So uh, you know we got to haven't had a concert at, at, uh, old at, at the cell. No, well that was the, the cell. The oh, old Comiskey was wow. already knocked down. Last concert there, two thousand three. I know Chance had something there, but it didn't yeah. define as an actual concert apparently. So uh, just oh. just thought I'd share. Yeah, they should get some more. Absolutely, yeah. I think they had the World Series of Rock at at, uh, at old at old Comiskey Park back in the eighties, if I'm not mistaken. Is that like the World Series of Poker, but for rock? No, it was like it was like the Police and uh, Joe oh. Jet. I think it was a nice lineup. Solid lineup. All right, and we had this final super chat uh, from Greg. Uh, this rolled in right as we were ending. Uh, this is for you, so we'll have Greg or Glenn ask you. Uh, sorry, Glenn. Uh, I said Greg. Uh, Glenn Wilson said, Vinny, after the success with Cease, if you can give the power of the stash to one more guy on the team, who are you empowering? If you want to say who might look the best with the mustache or who you'd like to see with the mustache, feel free to take some liberty with this question. Yeah, I think it would have to be who would look the funniest with the mustache, right? That's that's. I think that's what I would want to go with. Let's see. Let me look around the diamond and figure it out. Hmm. I think like Kyle just, I, Crick would look funny with a mustache. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. I would maybe like to see uh, Adam Engel with a mustache. Ooh, I think White Sox Twitter would love mustached Adam Engel. <laughs> I think they'd eat that up in a heartbeat. I would say or, Andrew Vaughn, but when he did have his mustache, his blonde, it was weird. I couldn't barely yeah. see it. It looked like a porn star. It was blonde, and you could barely see it. That's true. Uh, how about uh, how about Tony Larusa with a mustache? Ooh, I would love to see Tony with a mustache. I wonder if he's ever done that. Rocked uh, sure rocked any facial hair, but uh, I don't know. All right, Vinny, uh, we'll, we'll keep you. We'll get you out of here. With uh, we're just wasting time at this point. You can follow Vinny on Twitter at Vinny Duber. Born Jack uh, Snitz. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. We're pouring Jack, Jack with all of our questions. But you can follow Vinny on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. Appreciate the time tonight, Vinny. All right, guys. Take it easy. Take it easy. Thank you very much. And if you want to help support CHGO, the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you get two or three bets up to $2,000. That's not it. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and a free t-shirt from the CHGO Locker, all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet. If you have any questions, you can email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. PointsBet is your home for live in play betting and it just got even better introducing points bets newest feature the live nba same game parlay for the first time ever you can build the perfect live nba same game parlay only with points bet you can buy your favorite bets anytime during the game and if you want more you can boost your same game parlays you can watch live parlay live and boost live with points bet online signup is available in illinois you can download the points bet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone so what are you waiting for once the game starts don't just bet live your bet life with points bet gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 and if you want to start your day with competitive edge, Strava CBD coffee is a game changer and has helped thousands of people to help improve their overall wellness and quality of life. Strava delivers delicious, fresh roasted, high specialty coffee infused with organic broad spectrum CBD. CBD from hemp doesn't make you high or hungry, but it offers real benefits that can help you. It can help you feel alert and focused without the jitters. It can help you live your day more balanced with less anxiety and fewer aches and pains. Plus, introducing CBD into your daily routine can even help you enjoy a more restful sleep so you wake up feeling your best. The best part, Strava is all about quality. Everything is small batch, fresh and shipped straight to your door. Strava also offers concentrated full-spectrum CBD tinctures for those looking for a more traditional CBD format with a powerful entourage of effects and benefits. CHGO listeners can save 25% off their entire purchase when you use code CHGO. Geo25. That's 25% off your entire order at StravaCraftCoffee.com. When you use code CHGO25 at checkout, discount coupon valid on non-subscription purchases only, one use per customer. And if you already love Strava, subscribe and save with the Strava Coffee Club. With Strava, you're in control. Save on your favorite coffees and have them automatically delivered to your home or office on your preferred schedule. StravaCraftCoffee.com. Use code CHGO25 for 25% off your order. God, David G was at a concert in 1977. He was 13 years old. $10. Eddie Money, Thin Lizzie, Molly Hatchet, mm. Santana, and Journey. Carl Santana, Royals, Mercy. He was 13, and that was the first time and last time he ever did acid. That's one hell of Jesus a night. Jesus Christ. That's that's a good lineup, too. What the hell? At 13, doing acid. That's, that's something else. How was it? Yeah, how, how was it? You know, he, he didn't do it again, so I guess it wasn't too good. I, no I was, time like the president, David, to do it again. Go right, ahead. Right. I'm kidding. CHGO does not promote doing illicit drugs, guys. Come on now. We don't do that. You people on the podcast, right. I mean, don't do illicit drugs ever again. Just milk, spaghetti, and then your vitamins. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. None milk, of that. None of, milk, none of that. Spaghetti and vitamins. That's uh, the Chris Bryant. Diet. Is that what he eats? Yeah, he just sits at home on a Friday night with his wife, eats milk, <laughs> drinks milk, eats spaghetti, plays some like Yahtzee, Parcheesi. Bad porn, st- uh, porn star mustache. All right, let's uh, just go to game one real quick, Herb, and finish up. Uh, Abreu, we mentioned we him hitting. Uh, they won. Uh, you know, Jose Abreu looked like he, he's, he's jumping back. Uh, he's three for six with two walks in his past two games, which is good to see. Robert, uh, hitting streak of 14 games, got snapped a career high. Uh, that sucks for him because he did get a, a hit in game two. Uh, so he, he kind of kept it going. And then I thought it was interesting, too. Gordon Beckham. 
thought he's been pretty decent on the broadcast so yes, far. Yes. Um, he's he's goofy, um, which I like. And uh, what I really liked was in the first inning after uh, Whit Merrifield gets a double, uh, it ends up being Andrew Benatini who flies out to center field. Merrifield advances to third base on the fly ball. Perfect. And Gordon Beckham did a great job of just showing you what Robert needs to do because Robert really didn't get the best jump on the ball. He needed to get more deep uh, and then approach the ball and, and try to give the look to Merrifield that he might actually make a throw on the ball. But he was kind of just, you know, getting over, made the catch and then throws it in. But, you know, you talked about this, the maturation of a superstar. Uh, this is, you know, something very minute that only Gordon Beckham would know, but it is something that, you know, with Merrifield, a veteran will also notice. Yeah. And Gordon said, even if he gets the 30, which he conceded that Whit Merrifield has speed and more likely than not, that ball was hit to deep left center field. He would get there. But as a runner, Gordon said, hey, if a guy gets in shape, he gets behind the ball, maybe you he throws the ball, maybe midway to the third base, you stop and go back to second because you don't want to make that second out there at third base or the first or third. That's the key rules. But yes, that's the next move in his maturation. We're saying he's going to be MVP. We're saying he is an MVP candidate. MVPs are great all the time. You need to do the right things at all times. And that was a lackadaisical play by Luis Robert. I'm sure somebody got in his ear and said, hey, man, that's unacceptable. Yeah. We know he's probably going to make it, but we have to act the part. We have to do the right things at all times. And, yes, Gordon was right. He had plenty of time to get underneath that ball, get set, and get ready to throw a nice throw. Because even after he caught the ball, kind of relaxed, looked at the runner at second, and threw a, a, like a lollipop to third where Timmy had to catch the ball on a hop. So, yeah, that's the next step. We just, we expect greatness out of Luis Robert because he's shown that he can be great, and we need to hold him to that standard. I'm very impressed by Gordon Beckham calling him out but not really, you know, insulting him. It was a good job by Gordon Beckham. Right, and it, it felt more of something like, all right, hey, kid, this is how you learn rather than like, all right, you you need to make this or like, you know, it, he wasn't calling him out, which, uh, which was good to see. Um, I, I really like that stuff from Gordon Beckham. All right, so... Something I found that was funny, Herb, and, and this is the time to get angry. Uh, on the CHGO White Sox podcast, this was before the game. NBC Sports Chicago flashes this graphic. Record when scoring four or less. The White Sox were 13-14 and 14 heading into today when scoring four runs or less. The MLB was 188-441. and 441. They had a winning percentage of 29%. The White Sox had a winning percentage above 40. Obviously, they fell to 13-15. Uh, and 15 because they scored one run in game two, but really, really frustrating where the offense is currently at. Uh, Vinny talked about it a little bit there. You know, this team does have fun, but they're also pressing. What are you seeing out there? I'm just seeing, I don't know. Like, these guys are not playing at the level that they should be playing at. At-bats are getting better. Jose Abreu, no, Jose Abreu, I think yeah. not... It's not just walking because people are wild. Last night's at bats where he's walking twice, he's looking them deep in. He's seeing the pitches, and that's good. And you saw the results today of Jose Rebreu a little bit better, driving the ball, hitting the ball really hard last night, 111 off the bat. Or is that, no, Luis Robert? Was, no, Abreu had 111 off the bat. And so this is what is the next step. And maybe they need to see their leader like him and Tim do the thing before they, okay, here we go. Because you see Yasmani walked again today. Right. So these things are coming. I mean, Yoan's getting himself into shape. He's still, you know, underperforming in this week that he's come back. 
because, you know, he's got to get his body back in baseball shape. He's not hitting as well as he uh, at the level he should be right now, but he's just coming back. He's probably what, at 250 in the uh, in the uh, average right now. That nice opposite field single where we're talking about Josh Harrison getting cut off. That was Yohan Moncada with a great piece of hitting. So maybe eventually these guys will be the guys who show up at the baseball reference page or the fan grass page or the baseball savant page. But right now they're not there. I don't know what, what, how you spark that up. If the Kansas city Royals don't get you there, what's going to get you there? Well, I I think there's a lot of things. First off, they need to start walking. And that is a clear thing that they're not doing. And I I, I do, you know, we talked to Vinny about Frank Minichino. I want to read some quotes from Frank Minichino. This is from April. Hey, Frankie Minichino. This is from April 25th. And I I know that these are all small comments. and, And Vinny talked about it, you know. All Frank Minichino can do is really tell these guys, like, this is our approach. This is what we're looking for. But guys that make it up to the major leagues, they've been doing this without Frank Minichino, and they really don't need Frank Minichino's help. And I think that's a fair thing. So I don't know if Frank Minichino has a lot to say to these hitters to help them improve, but I worry about the true organizational viewpoint. Uh, on this team because I thought that Josh Harrison bunting in game one I think it was in the seventh inning in a 2-1 count is absolute bullshit Hmm. I don't understand the small ball nature of this team and this organization and since Tony La Russa has come into this organization a team that in 2020 led the major leagues or was you know top three in the major leagues in home runs really it just feels like their power and their approach has changed to where I feel like this team offensively is unrecognizable. And let's go to these Frank Minichino quotes because I just feel like they're not even buying into what this guy's saying. And I feel like there is a divide here where the White Sox, they're going to thrive when playing, you know, true long ball baseball. And the small ball idea, I think, is just two different approaches meshing between these hitters and what the front offices and coaches want to see. Uh, this is from Frank Minichino. The thing is that approach works against everybody. Uh, you know, resisted to uh, say their pull happy nature to jump on pitches uh, they could more easily trust weren't sliders. Uh, he wants his offense to be more content to pepper the opposite field with singles, not because he thinks the platonic idea of offense, but he believes it will help coax the inner half heaters uh, this team crushes, especially the way you want to pitch to us. They know we can't hit fastballs, so you know when it's time to make an adjustment. We're getting slider to death. We're getting off speed to death. We've been more aggressive, especially on the fastball, and teams have recognized that, and now they're going to try try to make us have patience. They're going to tease us in and out of the zone, especially with off speed. If you're not taking your walks, then you're falling into their plan. Since he made those comments on April 25th, uh, the White Sox walk rate is 6.1. Before he made those comments, it was 6.2. So him talking about, you know, being more patient and taking walks and not falling into the pitcher's game plan, the White Sox just did that. The White Sox just did that with a quadruple A-level pitcher in Brady Singer. Brady Singer just looked like everything the Royals have wanted to for him to look like in his career. And I understand that you thought it was a JV lineup. You still have Yohan Moncada in that lineup, Luis Robert, Yasmani Grandal, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, AJ Pollock, Josh Harrison, Leary Garcia, Adam Engel. It's not like there's a ton of rookies in that lineup. Nope. It's not like there's a ton of guys that, you know, just don't know how to take an A-B. The guys that really don't are Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn, and those guys, you know, are some of your best hitters right now currently going. So I really don't think that the organization is aligned with their hitters and, and where they where they truly need to be. And him talking about how they're crushing the fastball and crushing the slider, that hasn't happened since that. The White Sox are 27th 
in Major League Baseball against the four seam against fastballs since April 26th, 27th in the league. They're 24th versus sliders. The two main pitches that they're seeing, they are some of the worst in Major League Baseball against. They are not doing jack shit at the plate right now. And I think, like, I don't know if hitters have meetings before games. Like, I know they do BP, and I know they do their own thing. They get their ballpark three, four hours before the game. And it's all good. But there's got to be an analytics department or a video department where it's mandatory. Hey, this is what these guys are doing to all of you guys. This is what the team sees to you, against you guys. Not to have this onus on the players themselves. If Frank Minichito and they're not listening to him, that's fine. But inundate them, over-inundate them with mm-hmm. information. Guys, you're not hitting well, so you're going to listen to me. I know you usually don't, but fuck all that. You're 28th in on-base percentage in the whole goddamn league. So once you guys get above half of the league, then you could do what the hell you want. But from now on, you're going to have these hitting meetings. We're going to have video guys <laughs> go over what the league is trying to do to you and why they're so successful versus you. Now you guys can be a little bit more patient. Last year, we did a great job with on-base percentage. We were top five last year in on-base percentage, and that scores runs. Right. You see it. You get on base, you score runs. Let's put our plan into, into fruition. Somebody's got to do something there because these players are way too good to have the performances they've had through 36 games. Well, and I think also, I spoke about it on the spaces, the inconsistency of the lineup. Sean put out a great tweet today that said, the White Sox have played 35 games, well, now it's 36 games. They've had 36 unique lineups. Not one repeated in the 36. Baseball players are creatures of habit. Give them the sameness every day. Tim's hitting first. Yoan's hitting second. Luis hitting third. Jose's hitting fourth. Yasmani's hitting fifth. If one of those guys is out, don't put his replacement in his spot. Move everybody (laughs) up. Don't put A.J. Pollock at number two. Just keep the good hitters up there and tell the guys when they are getting a rest, hey, Lurie, it's Monday. You're playing on Thursday in right field. Cool. Be ready for it. Cool? All right. Otherwise, you're sitting on the bench and ready to play at any of those days. Those guys want to know where there are days before they get to the ballpark. They don't want to come to the ballpark, see those lineups like Andrew Vaughn's like, I'm out of the lineup again? Why? <laughs> I'm one of the best hitters on this team. Why am I out of the lineup? This is ridiculous. Like, consistency. They need a consistent lineup. And these guys, and, and, and even if you don't believe in lineups, what's going on right now? Right. Just try something different. Fuck it. Let's say, hey, let's just do this for three weeks and see how it works out. Yeah, and, and and the thing, too, is, like, you know, they're just not getting that information. Brady Singer faced 24 White Sox today. Zero. Zero three-ball counts. The White Sox had zero counts where they had three balls on them. Wow. They had six batters have two ball counts on them. 18 White Sox players had counts of one ball or less when they got out. That's bullshit. They didn't walk once today. You're not going to win as a major league team if you're striking out eight times and not walking a single time. And thanks to our people who are in the comments over yeah, here talking about this. NBC Sports Chicago's postgame show with Ozzie Guillen and Chuck Garfine. Ozzie's going off on Tony's lineup. 
uh, in game two, and I'm just reading the quote right here. We're babysitting players so much. I understand with Jose, yes, but with T.A., when you're young like that, you got to play every day. And T.A. responds in a tweet saying, Ozzy needs to shut the fuck up sometimes. He just put the, the letters instead of what I just said. Right. Talk too much, exclamation point. It's like, I get it, Timmy. I get it. You can't have rabbit ears. You got to let that shit slide. That's Ozzy's job. Right. That's Ozzy's job to talk. It's 100% his job to talk. So you getting messed up with Ozzy in this whole tussle is not what you should be doing. Or me. If you watch this or you hear this later, please don't send me a tweet. Concentrate on what you need. And if this is what you need to get ready, tell your teammates to do the same. Because you ain't, you're not the problem, T.A. Right. It's the rest of your teammates are the problem. It's not the pitchers. It's those hitters. They need mirrors. If you enjoy CHGO, Sean, and oh, I, I do, you, I do. And I, I enjoy it because do. of you. One way to help us out is continue to grow is to download the Points Bet app. You see it right above my head over there. See it up there? If you're watching on TV, if you're on YouTube or you're on uh, the podcast the next day, go to Points Bet right now and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk free bets for up to $2,000, but you'll make your first $50 wager. Oh, sorry. Make a $50 or more first time deposit and you'll receive. Free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content. Vinny's great work. Sean sometimes does something. Adam Hogue. Man, me, I will never write anything. You guys don't <laughs> want to have that. You'll be free of that, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt, your choice from the CHGO locker room. And if you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we'll help you out. And in case you missed it, online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can actually sign up and download the PointBet app right now. Register your account from start to finish from your phone, which I did, and I won over $100 today. Boom. Boom. Betting on those Dylan Cease nine-plus strikeouts because it's Sean Anderson. I should give him some money, shouldn't I? I'm not. Um, <laughs> you'll be signing up with the fastest sportsbook easier than ever so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for, Sean? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Great read. And Adam Hogue, too. He's on it also. You get to read some of his stuff, not mine. Give him something to put in there. I don't know what he's writing. So what do do you want to say Bears-wise? What's what's your Bears take for for Adam to write down? Um, Nathan Peterman should not be a Chicago Bear. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know if Adam Hope's <laughs> going to write that, but yeah, that's I, my opinion. See, I'm more of an opinionista. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a big uh, than a you journalist. Know, I'm. A, I'm a big. You know, backup quarterback needs to be the second best player on the team. Uh, so I don't think that Trevor Simeon and Nathan Peterman uh, live up to that. So well, I, Trevor I think Simeon's that, pretty good, even though I hate him because he's a Northwestern Wildcat. He's not the best with Northwestern Wildcat quarterback. We all know who that is. It's Clayton Thorson, uh, Wheaton North's finest. But the finest it is Wheaton North's finest. But I think. As a backup quarterback, you don't want big money people like the Bears have had the last couple of years. Because what do they do? Big they money quarterbacks? They yeah. Yeah, no. they don't do anything. Yeah, they don't do anything. I mean, Nick um, Foles is terrible. So is Andy Dalton. Give me a guy who did a good job. Trevor Simeon is uh, stead when he was down there at uh, New Orleans. What do you think of the whole T.A. and Ozzy back and forth here? Because I just don't understand why T.A. gets involved. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to mean anything. I mean, I think sometimes T.A. needs slights in his life to feel good. Remember, he kind of was defensive when they're asking him about all the errors that he made. And then the next day, crack, 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 hits four. I think he went four or five. Maybe he needs that. But 
I don't know. He just is too much rabbit ears for me. It's too much watching and listening for other people's stuff. Ozzy's job is to criticize. Ozzy's job is to tell the truth. And that's why people love Ozzy Guillen, especially in that role. He should never leave that role. I know he's going to be a great manager if he ever gets a chance to do it again. But I think he's even a better uh, job doing that post-game show because he keeps those teams and everybody gives them truth. And that's what people want, truth-telling. And, yeah, I didn't like the lineup either. And so I'm right there with Ozzy Guillen. You can't be keep on doing that and losing to the damn Kansas City Royals because they count just as much as a loss to the to the Yankees. And you know you're not supposed to be losing to these Royals. They're not good. You saw them today, guys. If you're listening on the podcast, you saw them. You heard them. You, if you're watching and listening to AM 1000, you heard that game. Kenzie Rose not good. Brady Singer's not good. No, let's talk about Brady Singer. Not let's, at all. Let's look at his pitch mix and, and how he beat the Sox today. And shocker, it was sliders, friends. Brady Singer was throwing sliders and making it work. Uh, it was pretty annoying, honestly, to watch this one. Steven, I probably didn't send it to you. It's all right. I see you shaking your head. Oh. Uh, yeah, these are his balls in oh. play. But Brady Singer was making it work today with his slider. He threw that the most today, featured that 42% of the time, featured his sinker 41% of the time, and he got 16 whiffs on 30 swings on his slider. He had... 22 called strikes and Damn. friends uh, with a called strike plus whiff percentage of 43%. Ooh. You're usually going to have a good day. Uh, and it, it, it was a good day for him. And, and the main part too is location, location, location. Uh, he put it where every other pitcher has put it against the White Sox and it's worked out for them. So why wouldn't it work for Brady Singer? It is not in the middle of the plate. It's either inside or outside. You see all those sinkers inside to right-handed pitchers. You see all of those sliders outside and away. The White Sox kept hitting hitting his bullshit, and they kept getting the same damn result. And I was wondering, I don't know how quickly Elio Saris turns around his new rankings. Yeah, it takes but about a couple days. I would love to see the actual stuff that Brady Singer was doing. I think it was better than what he featured earlier in the year versus the White Sox as a reliever, but still not top of the league. He was good. Not great. Not to the point where he never got to a three-ball count, and Sean looked it up. Never got to a three-ball count. That's amazing. He pitched seven innings. <laughs> How? These are major league baseball players not working a count. Not doing, not they don't know get, how. getting the player in trouble, not seeing what he's featuring. Maybe there's a plan. Hey, and these were, uh, you know, pretty much replacement players. I mean, at the top of the lineup, you had Adam Ingles leading off. Why? I don't know, because he's fast. That's dumb. But. Three straight pitches. I mean, no, four straight pitches. One ball, three strikeouts. And a lot of those, there's three strikeouts that I recall Brady Singer just doing middle, middle fastballs. Right. And the White Sox enjoying the game and looking at that third strike. What are we doing? And that's something. What's the approach? Oh, I, I don't what, know. Like what the on two is. strikes, yeah. that should be a fast. You should be looking for fastball and protecting for everything else. Looking at a middle, middle fastball is inexcusable. One time. They did it three times. Dumb. And it feels, too, I, I saw this a little bit with the A.J. Pollock at bat. I think it was the one where he kept following off pitches and Sliders. ends up getting a slider up and, up and away. I was watching, uh, you know, like everybody at, at 2 a.m. in the morning, I was watching uh, a re full game replay of the uh, Cleveland White Sox game on April 10th uh, of 2014 oh, okay. uh, where Why? Jose Abreu hits two home runs. I just wanted to see old Jose. But it was interesting because Stoney and Hawk on the broadcast mentioned, you know, Jose is showing you 
he's a major league hitter where you're th- you, if you throw him the same pitch in the same at bat, he'll take advantage of it. And AJ Pollock is getting sliders outside and away, low and outside and away, outside and away, outside and away, outside and away. And it's just like, take it into right field. We've seen him do this in the past week. And he ends up taking and pulling a slider into left field. And you know, I think he drove in a run or, or something uh, in, in that first game uh, on that pitch. But it's just like the White Sox, I, I don't understand them and their ability or inability to take advantage of mistakes. It just doesn't feel like it's been here this year. Luis Robert did it last night uh, in, in the in the 10th inning. You know, he throws the same slider back-to-back. Luis crushes it. Like, that That was great to see. But it, we're not seeing that on a consistent basis. We're not seeing that from a game-to-game basis. Pitchers make mistakes. Brady Singer didn't today. You saw that. None of that was in the middle of the zone. Uh, but still, I mean, even, he's still trying the same thing. He has two pitches. I mean, like, at some point, it's like... One of these comes in 94, the other one's coming in at 87. Like, there is a mile-per-hour difference here. Let's sit a fucking fastball, and let's sit middle in, and let's try to take one out to left field. Yeah, guess every once in a while. If you look silly, like I said before, you look silly. But at least you don't just do what A.J. Pollock's doing is just weakly hitting a slider, which in the same place, in the strike zone, on the other side of the plate. Just, yes, dump it to right. You see Tim Anderson. If Tim Anderson was in that game, which... Brady Singer, six for nine. Tim Anderson inverts them. He wasn't in the game. That's probably half the reason why Ozzie Guillen's pissed because you have one of your best hitters. Firstly, a guy that takes the ball to right field all the time, no matter what. Like, it's very rare you see now Tim Anderson hitting the ball to left field. When he does, you know he crushed it. Mm-hmm. But he'll he'll let that ball get deep and travel and serve that ball to right field even for a home run, double, something over there. I think the rest of the players need to take notes from Timmy and Luis Robert. When Luis Robert's going right, he's right center field. There's home runs this year at uh, guarantee rate, 102, right there in right center field. There's not, I mean, there's your major league baseball players. I think most of the players in the lineup have quick enough hands to let a ball travel, let it get deep, and then hit the battle, hit the barrel out there and let the ball just go where it needs right. to go. It's just so frustrating that these bats are just so early. Like, they're so anxious to get the bat over either way with a hit or an out that they're not allowing themselves to be the aggressor, be the be the person that's in charge of the at-bat instead of Brady Singer being in charge, not even having to worry about walking you because you're not even getting to three balls with them. Right. And, and I think something, you know, someone asked, like, when do you see it turn around? I think if you start seeing them pull fastballs into left field and right field, some of those inner fastballs, if they start pulling those balls and they start taking those sliders to the other way, I will like to see that. I, I did see, a, a, you know, a comment in there uh, mentioning Vaughn's wrist. Uh, he, he looks a little bit iffy, uh, but, I, I mean, he, he had a nice hit today. He took one back up the middle. So I, I think that Vaughn is all right, and I think that, you know, he, he honestly I think has, like, some of the best approach right now um I don't know if he's really been slumping he's only been playing what three games here so and he played double uh two games today so you know maybe just tired at this point yeah it was our guy Ryan K I mean just uh, went away I can't see anymore Ryan K had said that I think Vaughn's wrists are still hurting him let's see Vaughn's yeah, wrists still bothering him. him he's been slumping since his return from injury I mean it could be true but it also might be a guy who in his First full year, just not hitting right now. He did a good job, hit a ball right back mm-hmm. up the middle off of Brady Singer, got a single. I think he went one for four today. Wasn't totally lost. 
Yeah, I would like him to see probably walk a little bit more. Uh, you know, I haven't seen that from Vaughn. Uh, I'd like him to see a little, little bit more patient. But overall, I, I think he's been fine and still getting into the uh, the swing of things. All right, uh, Sox, you know, scoring four runs in 18 innings. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. Let's go to the uh, numbers here. Uh, that was the eighth time the Sox have been thrown out at home plate this year. Ingles been thrown out twice. Abreu once. Harrison was thrown out tonight. T.A., Robert, Pollock, and Mendick also thrown out once at home. Eighth time leads the major leagues. Uh, the other teams, uh, Nationals have been thrown out at the uh, home uh, seven times, Royals six times, Angels six times, and a couple teams at five. But Herb, how'd you uh, how'd you view this game? How'd you view that eighth inning and them sending him home? League average is uh, three uh, three outs at home plate this year. So the Sox uh, lead the league at eight. League average is three. And we heard what Vinny said that uh, Tony said. Tony thought it was a good sin. I thought it was a terrible sin. I, I just think people think that Josh Harrison's fast. Maybe you got it in your mind and it just stuck there, but he's not fast. And our guy Alex Rude says, StatCast says he's actually below average in running. So we saw the play on the replay. Benintendi had the ball. I remember Andrew Benintendi, I know Vinny said, and that's what Sean and I were arguing before where the White Sox played the Royals back in uh, Chicago and Benintendi dirted one on a ball where I thought they shouldn't have sent the runner uh, luckily, Benintendi dirted that when the run scored. But Benintendi is a gold glove left fielder. It hasn't shown up necessarily this year because he misplayed a couple balls today, even though he caught the ball off of, uh, I think it was Grandal's bat. Mm-hmm. But he had that ball way before Harrison even touched third. And you got to take these things into consideration if you're Super Joe. Good hit by Yola Mankata. It wasn't hit extremely hard, but hit hard enough. The guy doesn't have the have the base before Benintendi has the ball. Josh Harrison doesn't have premium speed. You have an MVP candidate coming up next in Luis Robert. Don't make the last out at home plate. I know you're pressing, and I know sometimes maybe a third base coach is pressing because they're not getting a lot of runs. And I'm not blaming this loss on Joe McEwen, but I'm also saying you got to be better at your job. These things have to go in your mind the whole time, even before – the runner is even, or the hit is even established. You got to be thinking, okay, we got Luis Robert up. Who am I going to be challenging? Andrew Benintendi? Yeah, he did that last time, but he's a gold glover. Well, let's and, not do it. And here's and the thing right too. field, no. Center field, maybe. Michael A. Taylor, let's, let's do it. You have to be going through these things in your mind. And then when the action happens, either stop him or go. But you got to take the pressure of it. You got to take the heat of it if it happens the eighth time. In the in the thirty six games we played eight times, yeah, been thrown out eight of times. home. I mean, that's that's inexcusable. And the average is three. No, no, sir, absolutely not. Yeah, average is three. And Dave saying Ben Attendee is a noodle arm, which I I would honestly disagree with, and maybe not disagree with, but. It, you know who also knows that Andrew Benatendi made a shit throw against the White Sox. Andrew Benatendi. Yeah. So you know what he's probably trying to do is throw that fucker out. Um, so it's just like, I don't know the, the, the whole defense of like, you know, you gotta, you gotta send them or, or, you know, I, I, I'm fine with the send because the White Sox weren't hitting. So it's not really Joe McEwing's fault that the White Sox weren't hitting. I think that's what Jackie said. I agree with that, but it's, it's just frustrating that it comes down to this. You're facing Brady Singer, right? Like <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Like you're just, it's Brady Singer is beating you up, and it's just like you you are behind right now in the division, a division you should have been leading right now. And this is a game that if you have Davis Martin pitching like he did, you need to take advantage. I don't 
understand this. There's no fight, it really feels like. There's no, oh, this guy just beat us this way for three straight innings. Let's try to make an adjustment. For seven innings, basically, six innings. How many? How long did Brady Singer uh, pitch? He six innings. Six innings. It feels like seven. It feels like it feels like he pitched all. He pitched seven. Like seven, seven innings. Seven innings. You went up against him. Seven oh, Brady, frames. Oh, Brady Singer. I thought you meant Martin. He meant oh, five. Yeah. yeah Go no, ahead. Uh, Brady Singer. Seven innings, and it there was no adjustments made at all. And something that Gordon Beckham brought up when there was runners on, it felt like his slider got a little bit worse. It felt like he wasn't able to get the same you know spin on it. The White Sox just didn't take a walk. The White Sox couldn't force a base runner on even if they tried. And that is just absolutely frustrating. And let's look at this. This is for the, the Twins and the White Sox post-All-Star break. I want to give a huge shout-out to Alex Rude for putting this together. I didn't ask him to. Uh, but our guy, Alex, you know, making gifts for us when we don't and putting this together. Uh, it was it was really great to have this. Uh, the Sox right now are 18-18. and 18. They're three games back of the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins are 21-15. and 15. This is looking at the Sox post-All-Star game schedule. And I saw someone, you know, quote or, or you know, put in the, the, the chat here, oh, it's April, and then it will be May, and then it will be June, and then it will be the All-Star game break. The White Sox haven't a winnable division. Even if they are 18 and 18 right now, even if they have a minus 26 run differential, even if the offense right now is statistically worse than the Cincinnati Reds, they can still win this division. It's not all doom and gloom, and I don't think the White Sox can be this bad offensively for a full 162 games. Maybe they're worse than what we would have expected, but this pitching has been good. And I look at the White Sox compared to the Twins, I still think the White Sox have a better lineup even if the White Sox don't add to this team. You're still going to get Aloy back. You're still going to get Lance Lynn back. Looking at this post-All-Star game schedule, the White Sox have 20 games against Kansas City and Detroit. The Twins have 17, so the White Sox have a three-game advantage there. Against rebuilding teams, the White Sox have 17 games. Those are games like Oakland, Colorado, Arizona, and Baltimore. You see that? But I would say Minnesota Arizona, got all of those off their schedule. I would say Arizona is not in Colorado. They're both. They've had good pitch. They're both around the 500 mark, if not above it. But I get what he's saying there. Right. Huh? I just feel like those teams are overperforming, though. Diamondbacks and the, uh, the Rockies, like you mentioned. Yeah. And Law of averages that should even out a little bit. Right. And, and Cleveland, you know, Sox play them 10 times. Minnesota plays them eight. Uh, the Sox will play Minnesota nine times. So you can make up a lot of ground just on those games alone. Playoff caliber teams, the, the Sox are only going to see seven, where the Twins are going to see 17. Uh, you, you see, you know, NL playoff caliber, they're going to face 10 teams. So they're going to face about 27 playoff caliber teams post All Star game break. But it's important to win games now. Absolutely. And the White Sox need to win games like this. When Davis Martin gives you a, 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 a game like this, these are games that you can't fuck around. If, if you lose, you know, three games against the Yankees this weekend, it will feel a hell of a lot better if you take four or five from the Royals. This is These are games that you can't fuck around with. These are games that you are a better team than the Royals. You shouldn't be losing two to one to the Royals. If you lose 15 to four because Dallas Keuchel has a horrible start, that is what happens. But when you are hitters and having the same approach against a guy who got sent down by the Royals of all teams Royals. to triple A and he comes up and shoves against you, you should be embarrassed. That's an embarrassing loss right there. And if you have more embarrassing losses like this leading into the All-Star break and after the All-Star break, then there's no point to talk about you as a possible division winner. Well said, Sean. I mean, I like when Sean gets a little hyped up. It's pissing me off, man. I mean, the Royals do this to you. The Royals. And I know before the show, and we're running out of time, but we're wondering if 
the Davis Martin start is because of Davis Martin or the Royals. I think it's more because of Davis Martin coming into this game. Royals really didn't strike out a lot. Um, Dylan C struck him out nine times. Quato seven. Quato seven. And you get the seven today from Davis Martin. The man is decent. Too bad he'll have to go back to AAA because there's really no spots for him. That's the sparkling thing about this. That's the the silver lining about the White Sox. Well, starting pitches have been spectacular. It's something been too dominating. Davis Martin, uh, Kyle Crick was sent down after this game. So right now, Davis Martin's still on the 26-man roster. Obviously, that will change when uh, Kopech comes off bereavement list. But I do wonder, maybe they try to sneak him in one more time I mean, uh, before you know, weird, Friday though. or something. Like, yeah, I don't they've know. already got two other extra guys with Cueto, Velasquez, and Keiko all battling for the fifth spot. Where are you going to get your Davis Martin at? You have an off day next week on Monday. You have an off day next week on Friday. So there will be very few times where you have a Davis Martin chance to pitch. But like I was saying to you earlier, I like this better as the doubleheader guy than the Stevers or the Lamberts. Even though those guys gave the good efforts, Davis Martin knows how to pitch. And I learned that this year he only went to the stretch. That's all he's doing. He's not doing the big windup. And you can repeat your motion a little bit earlier. You do, do it a little bit more often. Your pitches become a little bit more consistent. He started the game off with a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. And we saw him get up to 97. Mm-hmm. You can add and subtract from your fastball. That's doing something. Yeah, and it was really cool to see. I mean, he, he was just loading up the zone, and that's what you need to do against the Royals. I mean, you saw that with Cueto, and, and there is a way to have success against the Royals. I think that is what you can see. I mean, these are lower-level MLB hitters. If you're in the zone consistently enough, this is a team that doesn't have a ton of power to truly hurt you. And now, who do they have? Though With Salvi Perez being injured in the first game right. of this doubleheader. They got Melendez, who and had he, like 40 home runs in the minor leagues last and year. And even Salvi Perez this year is struggling. Santana's struggling. Yeah. The only one that's really hitting is Andrew Benintendi. Even Whit Merrifield's not hitting. So you should run through this lineup like a hot knife through butter. Even the good Naperville North or Naperville Central native Nicky Lopez is not having this year that he's supposed to have. Even even though he seems like the White Sox have woke that motherfucker up. Well, and honestly, damn, the more and more Nikki I see, Lopez. the more and more I see Nicky Lopez, I wish he was a White Sox. Yeah, uh, he's fun to watch. He had and like they, a he had like a five WAR last year. Yeah, and he he had like a three hundred average, and I think he you know he I think he gets the White I Sox. He's shocked. like a seven hundred hitter. Up. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like Naperville Central's own Nicky Lopez. Yeah, Davis Martin was really good, and uh, we got blank names saying I'd rather see Davis Martin pitch again than Vince Velasquez. Let's go to this uh, this these stats here. This is a uh, stuff plus versus uh, location plus, and this will be the final thing. I know we go we're going long here but I don't care. Let's talk about the White Sox. Uh, This is Stuff Plus and Location Plus. We have some kind of uh, guys that will kind of just give you some, you know, familiar faces, some kind of just bar setters here. You know, Shane Bieber, league average for Stuff Plus will be 100. League average for Location Plus will be 100. And this is all from Enosero of The Athletic. He does fantastic work. And this is a lot of interesting stuff just for me. I don't know if you guys find it interesting, but this is sorted by Pitching Plus. Kind of combines those two numbers and kind of gives you an idea of who the good pitchers in the leagues are. And you see this, you know, Liam Hendricks has phenomenal stuff. And and the location hasn't been there. The slider hasn't been there, but he's still been very good in 2022. Dylan Cease, uh, very, very good in 2020. 
2022. He's been the White Sox best pitcher, and this stat shows it. But some interesting has, things. He both has what stuff plus and location plus yeah. for Dylan Cease, right? Stuff plus 120 uh, for for Dylan Cease, so 20 percent above league average, and his location has been above league average at 101. Okay. Uh, so he's locating this phenomenal, ph- phenomenal stuff. Uh, and, and the stuff is based off spin, movement, velocity. The location is about where you're locating it. You know, if you're getting whiffs, especially outside of the zone, that's taken into uh, advantage because you're trying to make sure that, that it stays in the zone and then goes out of the zone. So it's really about, you know, if you're able to locate in the zone and get guys to chase outside of the zone. Uh, you know, you see Luke, Lucas Giolito having kind of an average year. Uh, his stuff is down from where it normally is. His usually is around 100, but his fastball spin has been down, so that's affecting his stuff. It's right now at 90, but his location has been good. And that kind of shows you why Johnny Cueto was so successful. Uh, he had a location plus in that start of 110.1. Uh, and that's the thing with, you know, going up against the Royals. You have to be able to locate your pitches. And you saw that with Brady Singer today. He was locating his pitches and it led to weak contact for the White Sox. But Blake Name mentioned uh, that, you know, he'd rather see Davis Martin over Vince Velasquez. You see that. Vince Velasquez compares pretty well with Michael Kopech, at least with stuff plus and, and location plus, you know, pitching plus right there. They both are around 99. So I know Michael Kopech hasn't really had his fast or his uh, slider and curveball consistently into starts here, but Vince Velasquez above average stuff and the location has been average, which I don't think it has been for his career. So Vince Velasquez is a swing man, modestly warming up to the idea more and more. Yeah, I did. And uh, MJ, I did have them winning three or four versus the Royals. Um, it'd be great if they win four or five because then that would be a successful road trip for me because getting half of these games on this road trip is all you need to do winning <laughs> on the road. I mean, and getting all the majority of the Royals, cool. I'm fine with that because the Yankees are a tough customer. But I want, would love for the White Sox to raise to the level of the Yankees this uh, offseason or this uh, weekend. But, yeah, man, Vince Velasquez has been good, better than I ever expected. But I think his role is going to be in the bullpen. And maybe he's a little bit better. If his stuff and his location stays at the same, he can have less, uh, you know, one inning and just air it out for that game and just right. make sure that we don't have people like Kyle Crick coming to the game. Uh, he was <laughs> early and bad early today. And then the Royals became the Royals. He got his control and command back eventually, but that's the Royals. So that was more the Royals than Kyle Crick. I think Davis Martin has a future. I think he knows how to pitch, well, which is very important. And you have a stat that blew my mind. You asked me in the middle oh. of the game and I was like, Oh yeah. He's like, the question that Sean asked me is like, he's thrown to 17 batters. How many first pitch strikes do you think that he's thrown to? And at the time, I was like, yeah, he's thrown a lot of strikes. I was like, 15. Sean, what was the answer? 17. 17 of 17. They're the first 17 batters. He had 17 first pitch strikes. Load up that zone, baby. He faced 22 Royals. He had 20 first pitch strikes. That's it, Davis Martin. Just throw the damn thing in the zone. Not being scared works for you. He doesn't have great, great overwhelming stuff, but he's like, shit. The most important thing is strike one. Yeah. The second most important thing is strike two. And the biggest detriment is ball four, something that the White Sox don't understand for opposing pitchers and the White Sox pitchers don't understand for themselves. And I think the only thing that Davis Martin needs to develop a little bit more, even though he struck out seven, is a put-away pitch. He'll get that. Well, but here's the thing. Going back to that pitch mix that I didn't give Steven, 10 swings on his slider, nine whiffs. 
They swung at that thing 10 times and missed 90% of the time. So, I, again, that's not going to happen when you know if Davis Martin faces the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to happen 30 times in a season. But for a 14th round pick for the White Sox, the White Sox don't develop guys like this. And that that's surprising to see that a White Sox draftee, I think in 2018... He was overslotted, so he probably wasn't a 14th round pick. He was probably more talented than that. But for him to have a great 2019, work his way up from advanced A to double A, then in 2021 uh, and 2022, work his way up from advanced A and double A and then double A to triple A and force a promotion and do well in his first start, I'm exactly with you. I like this better than Lambert. I like this better than Stever. And it's, it's just nice to see the White Sox developing homegrown talent and shout out to Davis Martin for doing it himself too. Obviously your own work has to go into that as well. Yeah. And like I said, he or somebody, whoever's doing the pitching coaching down there at uh triple a or double a got into his head and said, Hey man, shelf that wind up. We see Michael Kopech becoming a better pitcher, more consistent pitcher, consistent with his delivery by just coming out of the stretch. I don't know why more pitchers don't do the stretch. I think it's more effective. And you had something about how he probably kind of hides the ball, and it might be hard to see from Davis Martin. It's very weird. Bieber-esque in a way, just because Bieber has uh, Bieber, uh, his his stride motion is very uh, very similar. It's it's very long. uh, It's very back foot forward. It's something that uh, he he did. Davis Martin was kind of like gooseneck his hand when he pulled the ball out of the glove. You probably see it on YouTube, but he would go back and like have it kind of in this gooseneck motion, and then have it come up, and he would hide it basically behind his head the entire time. So I think that really when guys were Getting the full look out of him, it really, you know, or when the ball was coming, I think there he was able was to draw some him. timing there. Uh, yeah, it was it was really just coming out of his hand uh, the second, the moment they saw it uh, really come up. So I, I think it was really interesting to see uh, Davis Martin pitch today, even if it was against the Royals. Uh, that's probably the best way to see it. You know, if you're to see a guy make your major league, league debut, why not throw him against the Royals? But that's going to do it for the CHGO White Sox podcast. The White Sox fall to 18 and 18 after splitting a doubleheader with the Kansas City Royals. That's Herb Lawrence. You can Follow him on Twitter at EchnerWall23. We were joined earlier by our CHGO White Sox beat writer, Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. I'm Sean Anderson, the host of the CHGO White Sox podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Tomorrow, it's Giolito versus Granky. We will have a pregame show for you at 6 30, I believe, and then yeah. we'll have a post game for you after the final out is made. We'll see if the White Sox can take their third of four against the Royals tomorrow, and hopefully we have a normal ass lineup. G. Leo has to throw like a shutout tomorrow. <laughs> he might. I mean, Grinky is no great shakes, but he knows how to pitch. He's the exact pitcher that will give the White Sox troubles. Yeah. And so, yeah, the full lineup will be back in. I don't see them getting a bunch of runs off of Zach Grinky. So we know that. G. Lito's going to shove, probably has to put some zeros up for those Royals. I think the one thing that helps them is the fact that Granke is just such a low velocity. I think that they'll hopefully be able to put some good contact on him. But you're right, a guy that can locate will give them trouble. That's going to do it for the CHGO White Sox podcast. Thank you to everyone for hanging out with us and supporting our little podcast thing. It's so fun having all you guys (laughs) hang out with us. Thank you to Steven Nicholas for your production. And, of course, go Sox. Mm. I know. Well, okay. All right. Come Thank on. you to Fleetwood Mac for your 1979 album, Tusk. It was life changing. And go, Socks.